Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny. I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, let me start by just uh, welcoming all the people who can't believe they're in church right now. I'm so excited that you're here. All the people who uh, your mom made you come, you know who you are. Um, all the people who are spiritually curious, all the people who are uh, trying to figure out what is actually happening here, and, um, and especially all the people who are hurting. Uh, in a room like this, there's a lot of people that, that you probably got a pretty good game and you're probably smiling pretty bright, but inside you got stuff. And I just want you to know that so do I, and so does everybody else. And um, that's what this place is about. And today we're just going to make it um, about, that, about that feeling and about that experience. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part. And uh, we're going to wrap up a series today called uh, Church. And I, I, I feel pretty good about it. I made the other two services... Uh, I made the other two services swear oaths that they wouldn't tell you what was going to happen inside this service. Uh, Thursday night, uh, I made them actually raise their right hands because I don't trust any of those people. If you've been to our Thursday night service, <laughs> Thursday night, it's, it's a, we do a service on Thursday night. It's a weekend service. Same people, same everything. It's at 6.30. It's not recorded. And so they, they, it, they try to get lippy sometimes, so it gets aggressive. But I made them swear an oath, actually raise their hands not to share. Nine o'clock are all the church people, so I knew... I told them, listen, you don't need to swear an oath. Just know that God will be so disappointed in you if you tell people what happened in the service. So you're 11 o'clock, so who are you going to tell? You know, you're, you slept in, so welcome. Uh, it, it's, a good, it's a good way to end, I think, and I, I'm excited about it. Before I jump in, though, uh, we have a baptismal setup right here. That's for tonight. Uh, we have a really special uh, thing we do about every three months called Worship in the Round. We actually take all the gear and equipment. We put it in the center of the room so nobody's elevated, nobody's on stage. And then uh, we line up all the chairs in a big circle, both down here and obviously up, up top, and we just worship. Uh, we have some short one and two minute kind of words, and then we worship. And then folks who feel called to get baptized can get baptized. We'll have communion. Uh, I think we're going to do a prayer wall kind of section where you can write prayers, and also a, a lamenting station for those who just really just need to tell God what's up and be honest about the stuff that, uh, that they're dealing with. Um, so you're all invited. It, it's it's going to be really neat, and I, and I hope you take some time and, and maybe come and check it out. Uh, all right, here's my opening uh, statement. And I'm a big believer that uh, you shouldn't just believe everything the pastor says. As a matter of fact, some healthy disagreement and... Uh, Studying and free thinking of your own is really important. Uh, I got as many issues as you do. I just happen to be uh, under some lights and on a stage. So, uh, but I like to give statements that I think are true, and then you can unpack them uh, for yourself as I unpack them with you. Here's my opening statement. The early church is the most beautiful picture of people coming together for a single purpose that has ever been seen, Period. I believe this. I think I've got some passages in, in the Bible that back this up. But when you think of all the movements over human history, I don't think any other movement uh, has had more impact for good than the early church done well. Here's my foundational verse. It's from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 45. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is describing the early church, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it says that awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were, here's my word for today, together. They were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, when we started this series, we started uh, with some different words. First, we started with the word thrive. I believe that right from here when God started the church, that it was supposed to thrive. And I also believe that, that God will cause his church to thrive in spite of us, in spite of me, that it's his to make grow, that it's his to bring forth, and that we're just, uh, we're just privileged to be a part of it. Then we started talking about what it means to be trendy. As a church, it's actually quite important to be trendy because that's the way in which we hook up with our community. The problem is when you start to worship trends and start to search for only trends, then you can end up actually losing all the power of the space that you're supposed to hold in the first place. Then we talked about traditions. Church is big on traditions, big on different ways that, that we uphold the rhythms of community. And there's a lot of power and a lot of beauty in traditions. But also, I'm just going to be honest, some of our traditions, they just got to die. 
They just don't make any sense to anybody at all. And the only reason you do it is because your grandmama did it and she didn't know why she did it either. So traditions are beautiful, once again, unless we worship those traditions. Then last week I talked about trauma. If you weren't here, I would love to offer last week's message to you, especially if you're somebody who deals with church hurt, church trust. Uh, We ended the service with a pastoral apology, which is something that we've never done before. I brought up each pastor that was uh, in the building at that time, and uh, they offered from their own heart things they really, they felt that the church had had done, the the global church, you know, had done, whether it would be to manipulate you for money, or whether it had been to to not see your children, or whether it had been to, especially like women in the church for years and years and years have not been platformed, they have not been empowered. It was like they were just sort of a, a subsection of the greater church that the men led. And so we just straight up apologize for that stuff because that's some dysfunctional theology. Yeah, and the room went just like this. So if you need that or if you want that or if you just want to be frustrated and receive that, um, it's, it's online and, and you can watch it. But today is the word I just read. Today is what the church is supposed to be. Whether it's trendy or traditional, I can tell you this. The church is supposed to be about togetherness. It's supposed to be four or five generations, three generations sitting in the same row. It's supposed to be about everybody not getting quite what they want, but also feeling like they belong. Right? That's, that's profound. You can get three or four generations. We say around here it's trading babies for base notes because the older people are like, I just want babies in the church. The problem is you bring in some young families with babies and they're like, all I do is hear the babies. And what I need in my life is some base. And so we get complaints about base. And we get complaints about babies. So listen, just swap and you'll be fine. It's all good. So this is kind of the way in which we approach this togetherness, that everybody's going to get a little bit of what they want and a whole lot of maybe what they don't want. And that'll be fine because we're a family. And I don't know if you know this or not, especially if you're a young person, but your parents aren't getting everything they want. So maybe you should remember that. (laughs) <laughs> Some families in here right now just were like, this is our church. We found it. The, the teenagers are like, mm, I do not like him. That's all right. That's all right. I'll get to you. I'll get to you. We're going we're gonna to have some fun. So, okay, so here's the thing. Since this moment in the early church, since this happened, uh, different people groups have had small glimpses of movements like this, of communities like this, but nothing at this scale. Christianity from this moment on will grow to have the most followers of any belief system on our planet with over 2.2 billion current followers. And the profound thing is it all started, I'll read this quote, for over 2,000 years, people from all around the globe have been gathering like how you are here today to learn from a man born in an obscure village on the other side of the planet. And his teachings were so profound and so life-changing, all of them really around this concept of being together, being one both with the world that we live in, being one with each other, but most importantly, being in connection and together with him. And those teachings did something that forever altered humanity. It stirred people's worlds together. If you just live completely naive to the fact that you're on this planet in the midst of this universe, in the midst of this galaxy and so on, you're missing so much of the beauty and the power of your life and the moments that you have. And if you just live like you're the most important person in your family circle or the most important person at your school or the most important person online, I'm just here to tell you, you are missing so much beauty in the life of other people and the ways in which you are called to stir your world into theirs. It's beautiful. It's poetic. People write songs about it. We want to be together. We want to be one people. But the problem is it's also incredibly difficult. Let's just have one really quick religious mask torn off honest church moment. This is the thing about a non-denominational church planted from scratch from the Portland, Vancouver area. It's like we don't play by any of the rules. And I'm told this a lot when I do my, my church dumb. And I go sit with other pastors and they, they're trying to figure out, well, how do I categorize you? And what is your belief system? And I'm like, I just like love people and Jesus. And I don't love church as much as I love Jesus. And so your rules are cool. Jesus is just cooler. So just one quick moment with that context. I'm going to say it with as much pastoral heart as I can. So hear me. I guarantee right now, 
there are people in this room that cannot stand other people in this room right now. Some of them are the people you live with that you just happen to bring to church that you're pretending for all of our sakes that we're perfect, but you both know you can't stand each other. <laughs> Guy in the back, amen. His wife's like, are you serious right now? <laughs> it's just true. It's just true. We go, listen, my wife and I have had seasons, like we have never fallen out of love with each other, but I can tell you right now, my wife has looked me square in the eye and been like, I do not like you. And I can't find a verse to debate that. Like, I'm like, no, you have to like me. Everything about me. I got, I got nothing, you know? And I mean, I always like her. I'm, I, you know, I'm always gentle and soft-hearted. <laughs> but the truth is, if we're all being honest, we all go to church with some people that we don't like. And that's what makes world stirring so difficult. And the truth is, no matter how refined you become, no matter how educated, no matter how philanthropic, no matter how holy, you will always struggle, if you're honest and you take off your religious church math, mask, with liking everybody you do life with. It's even difficult when the Holy Spirit does it. There's a story in Acts uh, right after the church starts of a man named Stephen. And Stephen is, uh, he's one of those people who like, he, he goes to, it's like those kids who come back from church camp and they're just on like, like Holy Spirit high. Like they're just telling everybody and all their friends and you're just like, relax just for a second. Stephen is this person and they eventually grab him and they put him before the religious church system of the time. And Stephen decides that this is his opportunity to give a speech. And he just goes after him. You're this and you're that and you killed Jesus, and you did this, and your mom is this, and this is that. <laughs> you never thought you'd hear a pastor say your mom stuff, but Stephen basically called their mom's names because he went after all of their spiritual heritage and said it's all broken. And the way in which your parents taught you to do church was not the way that God wanted you to do church, and this whole thing is just a farce. And this is how they responded. Chapter 7 of Acts, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. This is another example of together we're going to talk about in just a moment. <laughs> then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that name. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here's something you need to know about being together. And that is that there will always be people, always be people who think that being together means being the same as everybody around you. And that sometimes when you decide, especially if you're a Christ follower, that you are going to, to, to be a part of his movement, you and I have to get better at recognizing that sometimes the together you're going to experience are people actually turning against you and the movement that you offer. Basically, if I could just offer one simple thing to you as a Christian, if you're really going to follow Jesus, just get better at taking a punch. Just get better at it and expect it. Like I have so many Christians who are like, so I went to my friends and they asked me for advice and I was like, listen, I don't think there's any advice that can fix this, this level of problem except maybe maybe Jesus. And they're like, oh, you're a Bible thumper? Oh, and now they don't talk to me for two days. And I'm like, what have I done? And I like shared Jesus with them. And now I don't know. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like your friends got offended because you said there's no power that can make their life whole. And you pointed out that your friends, just like me, are chasing stuff that won't fill in the stuff that only Jesus can. And that's offensive to people. And so you got punched and you're a big girl and you can do it. It's a big girl in the back right there. <laughs> I can't see, so don't be offended. I can, there's lights. So if you're like, what, what kind of church service is this? It could have been a small man. I can't tell. So it's just, 
But here's my point. Here's my point. My point is we got to get better at taking punches. We got to expect punches because that's actually the thing that ministers to people is when we stand in the gap, people try to come against or harm or overtrend or over-traditionalize or over-religious and we stand there bleeding from our lips and go, hey, I get it. It was hard for me too and I'm still here for it because I love you. Because I'm just here to tell you, if you want to know the best context for learning to take a punch is realize, just realize just for a second how many times you've punched Jesus while he stood in front of you and he sure didn't run away. I've punched Jesus with my life choices square in the face and woke up the next morning and he was still there, a little bruised and maybe kind of frustrated. But he didn't walk out on me. And you should probably stop walking out on people that throw punches. I'm not saying to put your life into a situation where you should be filled with toxic friendships. That's not what I'm saying. Don't email me that. I'm just saying you know when God's called you to be like a Stephen. And if you need to, sometimes you just got to stand in that gap. It says there was a man who uh, experienced this togetherness against the church in a powerful way. His name was Saul. And it said that this man was so uh, excited to be a part of the way the church was treating Stephen that he offered to hold the coats of those who were going to get sweaty throwing rocks at Stephen to kill him. Because I don't know if you put together, but it takes a long time to kill a person with rocks. And so they prepared and thought it through and were strategic and he held that coat. And as a matter of fact, he was so against the church of God that my next chapter in the Bible actually says, Saul ravages the church. It's the very next chapter after Stephen. And he attacked and he spit and he cut and he persecuted. And he did it all in the name of his religion because this whole Jesus person was messing up the traditions and the trends of his people. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that Saul eventually would have his life because of Stephen stirred into Christ's world. This stirring would leave Saul with not only a new and repentant heart, but a new name, Paul. And he would actually end up writing some of the most powerful scriptures ever written from this stirred place that started out with rage and ended in repentance. And so let's just be honest. We'll put it on the screens. Whether you rage or repent right now in this room doesn't really matter. What I do know is that when your world stirs with that of the creator, no matter the age and no matter how bad you don't want to be here, your creator, you cannot remain as you were. A choice will be made. And you will either say, nah, not for me. And you'll go about your life filling it with all the things that trends say are important or tradition says is important. And Christ will go with you into your life. And he'll send a school bus driver or a friend or some future coworker or a future spouse or a service you wish you weren't at. And you will sit there and one day realize that whatever age that Christ has been with you this entire time, and my hope is that your rage turns to repentance and like Saul who becomes a whole new creature and leaves his old self behind and now answers to the name Paul that you will look back at all of it starting when your world was stirred, first by Stephen, who was willing to take a punch, and then, of course, by Jesus, who took the cross for you and for me. I want to look at a lesser-known story of world stirring, but still connected to the Stephen story. It's in Acts chapter 11. It says the church is expanding. They form some council. They decide that they're going to get organized and make a plan because that's important for God's kingdom to, to, to operate uh, as it should and be well stewarded. But here's the problem. Whenever you get people in charge of what God's doing, they start to organize it how they're used to running things. And it says this in chapter 11, verse 19 of Acts. Now those who were scattered, look, look what it says, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and a city called Antioch, speaking the word, and then it adds these phrases, to no one except the Jews. Jesus came, by the way, and spoke the word to anybody who would listen. Anybody who would listen. Ethiopian, right? Samaritan, Jewish people, didn't matter. If you were a human being, Jesus was like, you got a soul and I got an answer for your soul's questions. 
And that's what he did. And that's what he wanted the church to do. But the church oftentimes will kind of start to gravitate back towards its system. And the church at this time was primarily Jewish people leading other like-minded Jewish people. And as I said earlier, people lean into things that are the same because frankly, it's just easier if everybody in the room wrestled with the same thing that you don't wrestle with. Like we all have enough money, let's say. And it's like, man, isn't it great? God's provision is so good. And then somebody with no money comes in and we're like, mm, I don't know, something about them, they just don't fit here. Because they point out some stuff that, well, we don't really wrestle with. And that's exactly what's happening here. The church is going out and they're preaching the good news and the gospel. They're just preaching it to people like them. Here's the thing that we need to realize is that these people were charged very much so to bring the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. And that means that world stirring doesn't come with a manual. And it certainly doesn't have a copywritten weight of always operating. It just says, go to the ends of the earth. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Here's my question. How can we bring God's word to all the world and the whole creation without stirring our world with theirs? Now you may think, whoa, there's some boundaries being crossed on this stage. You should report it to our denominational head. Let them know, oh wait, we don't have one of those. Yeah, there are. Because churches have built rules. There's like 300 and some odd denominations just in the United States, all of whom think that they figured out the Bible and the way in which you should operate spiritually. Isn't that profound? Oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of non-denominational people who think like, well, that's wrong and clearly this is right. So we're no better. The truth of it is, all we're called to do is go and preach, to recognize trends, to recognize tradition, and at the end of the day, to value togetherness. Now you may think, I feel like maybe you're starting to cross the boundaries. It sounds like you, uh, you want us to conform in order to meet the needs of other people. I'm not saying you need to conform. What I am saying is that most of the time, what the world here is that if you wanna know Jesus, you should come this way. Come over this way. Live, live like this. Look like this, talk like this, act like this. Once again, the Jews, only the Jews. And all I'm here to tell you is that's not what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, he's pretty clear that people don't need to come your way or my way at all. John 14, six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is like, you're not the way, you're not the truth, you're not the life, I am the only way. This will always be a struggle to read and implement because every person in this room, whether you'll say it out loud under the lights like me or quietly in your heart when you're in traffic and frustrated with the people around you, want their own way. You want your own way. And so to preach Jesus is sometimes muddy and messy because ultimately, if you're not careful, what you end up doing is preaching the Jesus you know a certain way and not the Jesus the world's supposed to know who says he is the way, not you. You don't love like Jesus. You don't forgive like Jesus. You don't heal anybody like Jesus. You are not the answer. We're going off script for a second. You are not the answer to anyone's problem. And by the way, that should be freeing. That should be freeing that you don't have to carry the burden of having to answer other people's problems. Jesus is the answer to your problem. And when people see your life struggling yet beautiful, when people see your life thriving in the midst of trauma, when people see your life like with a gentleness and an intimacy, when people see you take a punch and smile back through bloodied teeth and say, I love you anyways, then they're gonna wanna know why. And that's when you have the opportunity to act like, well, you know, it was this self-help podcast that I listened to one time and I've just always had a lot of self-discipline. You know what I mean? It's always, <laughs> this is like pastors who tell stories about things they used to struggle with. Like I used to be prideful back when I was in college, you know, and I, I just got humbled and I've just been really humble ever since. And so it's just, <laughs> like, like I'm not the answer to your problems. Jesus is the answer to my problems. He's like a big spiritual paint stick proclaiming none of your ways are the way. How about you stir your ways up into mine? But the early church leaders had the same problems we have still today. 
And so they decided enough stirring, enough, enough of this going on, we're going to keep it with the Jews. But guess what? There's always some, uh, some non-denominational people who are like, eh, we're going to do it different. And so it says in verse 20 of the same chapter, but there were some of them, and all it says is they were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, no names, who on coming to this city Antioch spoke to Hellenists. What? They spoke to people who weren't Jews. They preached the Lord Jesus. And suddenly it says in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Be very clear. In my opinion, these are the baddies of the first century church. They're like, we have to only talk to Jews? We don't think so. That's not the message we heard. We only can eat dinner with this group. We can only spend time with these people. We can only gather on Sunday mornings or Thursday nights. And they're like, no. Instead, they just cared about connecting with others, about finding any way they possibly could to be together with this person they encountered. And they crossed boundaries and they did it aggressively. They loved with passion. It actually reminds me a lot about my neighbor's cat. I moved into my neighborhood just over a year ago and I'm not a cat person. I, if you have to hold that against me, that's fine. I'm not, not from the cat denomination. I'm a dog person. Uh, we've had cats growing up, but they're just, they're just rude. That's all it is. But we moved into this neighborhood and this cat, I'll show you a picture of him. Here he is. He's in my driveway once again. Yeah, mm, he doesn't belong to me. And yet he decided somewhere along the way that he was gonna stir his world into mine. And I was kind about it at first. I was like, hey buddy, where's your home? How about you go there? <laughs> and then I think two times now, I've, I've gone out to my car, opened the garage, got in my car and I was like, oh, I forgot something. I opened the, left the driver's door open, went in the house and come out and he's literally sitting in my driver's seat acting like I'm late to an appointment I didn't know we had. He's like, where you been? <laughs> Just doing this soft tail thing, right? Just, and I'm like, bro, get out of my car, go home. Every time I come home, if he's across the, across the way, now I ignore him because I figured out his game. Every time I'm like, hey, hey, you stay over there. And every time he just falls on the ground falls on the ground. He started bringing me dead things as presents on my front porch. This cat has killed for me. It's taken lives for me, taken lives for me. So I only have one. <laughs> I'm going to tie this together so tight that you're just going to be like, oh, I got one space where this cat doesn't belong and it's our perfectly fenced backyard that our little dogs constantly run in and let everybody know, this is my house. And the cat don't go back there. But he hates it. And so as soon as they go inside, he hops down and he stares in my back window, right? Which then my dogs go crazy and he's smart enough to know like, I'm faster than you and the door's closed, stupid, right? It's just, and they bark and he stares and they bark. And so there's this whole thing. And I can tell he's like, I will conquer the backyard. We will stir our worlds together. <laughs> and so the other day I was out in the yard free of this cat. And I was like, at least the cat's not out today, right? I call the cat bushes because all the time he's in a bush somewhere and he hops out, gets in my seat, gets in my garage. All the time he just, he's just, this is what he does. So I was in the backyard and I was like, you know what's so good about this bright, beautiful day that there's no cat back here. My dogs are running around blissful. And then I heard something and I looked over and this is what I saw. Do you see him? How about a little closer? Maybe a little closer. Just a little closer. What is that? He's just sitting in the bush like, you will stir your love into mine. Here's the thing. One day I hope to love others as well as my neighbor's cat loves me. This is how we're supposed to love people. And they're like, get away from me. I don't want you. You don't belong to me. And we're like, hey, where you been? I've been waiting here to love you all day. 
And they're like, no, I ignore you. I treat you poorly, right? I'm not a Jesus person. I'm about this stuff. But the truth of it is, after a while, I kind of feel like I got a cat. <laughs> He's perfect, right? He, I don't have to feed him, water. I don't have to do anything. I just pet him when he comes up quietly when my wife's not around. I'm like, you're all right. You're all right. You safe out here? You safe? All right. Patrol, right? That's how I think about it. <laughs> Keeps my house safe with my attack cat. Listen to what happens next in the story. Listen to what happens next that the church decides to do with the way these guys are loving. That the whole city, they're loving, it says Hellenists, right? People way outside of their parameter. They're, they're like the cat, right? They're like bushes. They are stepping into places they don't belong. And people are like, I don't really like this, but I'm in. It says that the, the report of their world stirring came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas is like a disciple heavy. And they're like, hey, get in there, get in there and make this world stirring stop. We can't have it this way. We got you, we, we got to have things in their proper places. This is Jesus work we're talking about. Let's make sure and line it out and get it predictable. But Barnabas is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he shows up and starts sniffing around and he's like, huh, hmm, this is interesting. And then it says in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he, it says of Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. See, when you know that you know that you belong to God and that he's the one who completes your story, then when you see other people, no matter the background, lifestyle, no matter the trauma, no matter the brokenness, when you can see them leaning on God the same way you lean on God, man, that is a powerful piece of togetherness. And so Barnabas does what all good men and women do when faced with a controlling system that seeks to push its own agenda before all others. He makes it worse. Verse 25, Barnabas went and got Saul. Saul, who by this point was having some awakenings. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And I want to unpack this next sentence. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now here's what this is. Antioch is a massive city at this time. Nearly a half million people live there. And it's all kind of eclectic cultures and ethnicities. But when it was first built, there was a tradition of keeping those ethnicities apart. That's what maintained the peace. And so there was a wall when it was first built between the Syrians and the Greeks. But then eventually this grew to different types of people. 18 different ethnic groups lived inside Antioch at this time. The problem was that in a place where people kept to themselves, suddenly there was a group here that didn't. Suddenly there's Christians were like talking to the Ethiopians and the Greeks and the Hebrews and the Syrians and the Hellenists and on and on and on. And so suddenly here in Antioch, the believers were first called Christians, presumably in part because they were difficult to categorize due to their annoying ability to world stir. And they were like, you know, the, the, the movement with the, the Hellenists. I, I thought they were Jewish people with the Hellenists. They are, and there's some Ethiopian people in there. And then that, and the, who, well, which, what do you, who, which group? You know, the little Jesus people, the, the Christians. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, they don't really follow any rules. They don't have a ton of boundaries. They're just after relationship and holiness and intimacy and connection and so on. Did you know? that this is a human trait that Christianity speaks to. Did you know that children to this day, the children you are raising in this room, that they connect with others by, in, by knowing that they're a part of your world? And that is so very important. As a matter of fact, uh, a child therapist told me that children know they are loved through how inconvenienced their parents are willing to be around them. That's their first lesson in love, is that I need help, and dad's cooking dinner and dad stops dinner and is inconvenienced and comes over and says, you're my world, what can I do? Mom's at work and I need help. And you call and mom answers the phone and says, my work world pauses, how can I help you? They, they, they just know. And what's so powerful about that is that it speaks to this beautiful thing that Christians are supposed to do, which is learning to take punches and stirring their worlds into the worlds of other people and though therefore inconveniencing themselves for others. 
And if you just want to really get Bible, it's the incarnation. It's a God above the world who says, I'm trying to connect with these people. I'm trying to show them that I am here. And you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to step out of heaven and glory and power and majesty and worship. And I'm going to inconvenience myself and be born a baby in a manger that grows up as a human child that's cold and hungry and experiences sickness and, and back pain and muscle strain and on and on and on. And guess what the world did? The world responded just like children do. And it said, there's something different about this God. And then he took that punch all the way to the cross. And like Stephen, or Stephen like him said, Father, forgive them because they don't know, but I love them. And he is still doing that with you right now. God is still with you. There are so many parts of your story that if you would just slow down for a second and realize that you're not the answer to your problems, neither am I, neither are the self-help books, neither is any amount of self-discipline, it is Jesus. You will see him inside your story, I promise you. But sometimes it takes getting to a place full of other people who can help you see him together. That's what this place is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be about one person. It's not supposed to be about even a vibe or a, or a trend or a tradition. It's just, it's just supposed to be about Jesus. And it's supposed to be preached to more than just the Jews. And people are supposed to say, did you hear about that place across town that has different people with different problems and different issues and different skin color and different jobs and different problems? And yet they all seem to come together and Love Jesus. It's weird. Maybe we should go check it out. You know, I've had people tell me they came here just to make fun of us. They still go here, by the way. <laughs> and now I make fun of them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's my point. We serve a God who proclaims to be the light of the world. And I think sometimes what we think is that he is this light and we're supposed to point to him and tell everybody about him and say he is the light, he is the light, he is the light. And that's not exactly what's supposed to happen. Instead, we are supposed to see that light and we are supposed to embrace that light. And then according to him, we are supposed to become that light, stirring that light into the light of other people. Jesus is talking in Matthew 5, last verse, you are the light of the world. You, by the way, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. This is gonna get personal for some of you. Let me read it into your heart. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father, who is in heaven. No matter your age, no matter how young, how old, no matter your income, no matter your background, your story or your trauma, Jesus Christ wants to light up your life so that you can be the light to others and stir your story in. Basically, this is for you. I wrote it so that we can be all be offended together. Every Christ follower that has ever lived is called to stir the lovingly lit world they've been given with the world of those they see searching around them in the dark. That's our job. That's it. The rest of this is all periphery. That's our job. That's it. And whatever we need to do to lean into trends in order to be creative and built how we're built or to maintain some traditions so we can pass something of substance down to our children, whatever those things are, it all boils down to me and you believing that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, that he brightens my soul, exposes the areas he wants to work on, that I stay in the process, that I learn to take punches, and that I stay loving with the people around me, and that together we continue to stand in awe of the work he does in us for his glory. That's it. That's it. There's no church strategy. There's no church games. That's the whole thing. And whether it shrinks down to 300 people, which would be helpful because we don't have a ton of parking, or it grows, <laughs> or it grows, it's all going to stay his. This is such an important thing that in two weeks we're launching a brand new series uh, that's basically going to talk about honoring our beautiful differences. It's a series on this kind of togetherness. 
the series is called Black Licorice because let's just be honest, nothing is more divisive that whether you're a black licorice person, raise your hand. Yes, filled with the Holy Spirit. Red licorice person, raise your hand. Oh, uh, we have a class for you. We're going to start up here soon. <laughs> it's called, never mind, I can't say what it's called, but I was, I was going to call it sin eating, but, but I don't think that's appropriate at all. Uh, I, it, that's the idea. We're going to lean into this idea that there's a lot of stuff that makes us different and it's beautiful. And those are things that we're supposed to use to, uh, to honor the togetherness that, um, that we're supposed to be experiencing. Um, I told you at the beginning that uh, I would close with an element, uh, and this is it. I believe to remind us that we are the light of the world, and I'm gonna have the worship team come out actually, uh, that we are gonna both break tradition and step outside of trend in order to do something that is purely about the symbolism of togetherness, and we're actually gonna have a candle lighting service right now. And so I'm going to have the uh, ushers come out as the band comes up. And then what I'm going to do is I am going to take a candle. You're going to have a candle passed to you. And then I'm going to light a candle. And we're going to kind of imagine the traditionists say, you know, you light one flame and that flame spreads to everybody. The trendy people say, it's beautiful and it's Christmassy and it's memories. What we're going to do is both. And we're going to experience this movement in a symbolic way that represents, I think, how Jesus wants us to live and experience his presence. And so I'm gonna have Pastor Tom come down and he's gonna actually light the balcony for me. And Tom, I'll, uh, I'll pray before we get started. Okay, thanks sir. Here's what this is supposed to mean. Jesus is the light of the world. And when you experience that light, it, it fills you, it changes you. And eventually someone around you, well, they experience that light. Like this young man right here. You just hold on to that for a second. And it sits there and it burns like it does until somebody asks him the right question at the right time and the Holy Spirit says, to light the person next to him. And then she lights the person next to her, but guess what? He still lights the person behind him because you don't just light one, you tell everybody. And so when this light gets to you, what I want you to do is turn around and pass it to everybody you can reach. And then you just look at your light and ask Jesus, where do you want more togetherness from me? Where do you want me to experience this beautiful thing? Ask him, have him show you. And from that place, watch what he does. Let's pray. Lord, we experience this now with you. We lift it up to you. We recognize your power for whatever it is you want to do with this moment. We surrender it. We lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've seen what you can do. Oh, God of wonders, your power has no end. And the things you've done before in greater measure, oh, you will do again. Because there's no prison wall you can't break through and no mountain you can't move. All things are possible And there's no broken body you can't raise And no soul that you can't save All things are possible And in the darkest night You can light it up Oh, you can light it up Oh, God of and let hope arise Death is overcome And you've already won You're the God of revival And you rose in victory And now you're seated 
forever on the throne. So wash in my heart fear what you Possible, yes, they are. And there's no broken body you can't raise, and no soul that you can't save. All things are possible. It's in the darkest night, you can light it up. Yes, you can light it up. You're the God of revival. And let hope arise, cause death is overcome, and you already won. You're the God of revival in the darkness, and in the darkest night, oh, you can light it up.
our candles so that you can see how many other people in the room are contemplating stirring their worlds into those of the others around them. We're not alone in this. There's still going to be the trauma. There's still going to be the trends and the traditions and the human element, but I'm just here to tell you the church will not fail because of he who is the light and because of the light that we possess due to relationship with him that we're going to stir with each other. May we, may this church, may you, may your family be that light for somebody who is searching so desperately to have their world seen and stirred and loved. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church like this. Thank you guys so much. I hope you come to the worship time tonight. I hope you make time for it. It's gonna be beautiful. And lastly, I just hope you remember how disappointed God will be if you tell anybody outside this room what just happened to you. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church family, for the way that you love us just where we are. Thank you for, uh, for letting us be a part of your movement. We lift it up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can blow your candles out as you leave. There'll be buckets at the door. Go ahead and dump them in there. Thanks, guys, so much for coming. We'll see you soon.